Well, good morning. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me as we together recite the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith here at Celebration Church. It's the one thing that we believe. So would you join with me as we declare it together here? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we want to welcome you this morning. Great to see each of you here today. Uh, let me take a moment just to introduce myself in case you are new to Celebration Church. My name is Lathan Duncan. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Celebration Church and have been a part of the church from the very beginning. Uh, of course, uh, my main role is here in the Green Bay campus, and so it's just good this, this morning to have an opportunity to share a little bit with you. Pastor Mark is in Massachusetts, and uh, with some of the Laugh to uh, Better Marriage events that are taking place, so it's a real honor and a privilege for me to take some time this morning just to share with you, connect with you, talk with you. You know, when I was kind of preparing for it over the last week or so, or you know, I was kind of thinking about it. I was thinking, when was the last time that I had the opportunity to speak and to share? And I began to realize that it was way back in March of 2016. A group of us had just returned from a mission trip and putting a freshwater well in Honduras. And I had the opportunity to speak then and share a little bit. But it was a, it was a while ago. I hadn't had the opportunity to do that. So I'm excited about having the opportunity this morning to share with you. Uh, if you are new... Uh, forgive my accent. I've been working on the Wisconsin accent for quite a few years now. It, it's not working. I'm going to have to give up on that. Uh, you know what I did begin to realize very quickly that in preparing and, and, and getting up here that, you know, I'm feeling a little nervous, you know. Well, it's been a long time since I've had a chance to, you know, just share and share my heart and share what I believe God has f uh, for us this morning. And so I thought, I was, you know, a little nervous. I thought, you know, the, the best way to deal with nervousness is with a little bit of humor, correct? So I want to start out this morning. I want to share a little here. Now, I'm not a comedian, so I'm not going to even attempt to do that, all right? But I do have a couple of things I want to share with you. Now, I've kind of set you up that you've got to laugh, all right? If you don't laugh, then I'm going to feel very, very disappointed and very upset. How many of you remember and have heard the little phrases, the little statements that are, talk about how many people does it take to change a light bulb? Ever heard any of those? I've got some great ones for you, all right? Are you ready? They're all based upon the, on, on the church and Christians. So let, let's, let's, let's do a couple of those here this morning. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Who said anything about change? <laughs> How many Charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Only one. The rest have already got their hands up in the air. <laughs> How many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? It takes 10. One to change the light bulb and nine to bind the spirit of darkness. How many, this one may, I hope I don't step on any toes here this morning. How many Catholics does it take to change the light bulb? None. They use candles. How many Episcopalians does it take to change a light bulb? It takes 10. One to change it and nine to sit around and talk about how good the old one was. 
How many Church of Christ people does it take to change a light bulb? None. Light bulbs are not mentioned in the New Testament, and therefore it's unscriptural. <laughs> how many charis- sorry, how many chiropractors does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but it's going to take six visits. <laughs> You're doing good. Stay with me. How many college students does it take to change a light bulb? I, I don't know, but will it be on the test? How many telemarketers does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but they are going to have to do it when you're eating dinner. And then I had to think about this one for a little longer, and hopefully I got this one right. How many celebration church people does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, because all the rest are at a laugh way to a better marriage event. Uh, well, I feel a little bit more relaxed. Hopefully you do. I want to just begin this, this morning. There's a couple of thoughts that I want to share with you that are really a passion of mine, and I want to communicate them with, with you this morning. Hopefully the Holy Spirit will help me to be able to do that. But I want to start out by just sharing a little bit of my story. I mean, many of you already know a little bit about my story and why it has been that uh, kind of over the last two years, three years, that uh, things have been a little bit different for me. But this past week, in fact, on the 12th, Thursday the 12th, uh, it was a, a year ago, 12 months, uh, a year ago, that I underwent open heart surgery. You know, they suddenly discovered after being uh, looked at and stuck on and stuck in and all kinds of stuff, it's amazing what these doctors like to do uh, when it comes to that kind of thing. I remember coming out of one of the uh, rooms and they had been trying to draw blood and, you know, my veins are, are you know, they, they're quite interesting. I think they come from Africa. They like to hide, and they're always hiding. So I came out, and I looked like I'd been in a car accident. I mean, I had bandages all over me, all right? But they discovered that my heart, the two main valves in my heart had calcified, and they needed to replace them. So a year ago, I went into the Mayo Clinic, and they did open-heart surgery, and they replaced those valves. And I would love to say to you that while I was recovering there was a complication after the surgery. Some of the issues that I'd had previously were, were unable to be addressed. And so there were some complications that I experienced. And I remember being in the hospital and having just had this open heart surgery, having that wonderful little heart-shaped red pillar to hold onto and, and, and cough and hug. Some of you that I've talked to have had that experience before as well. Uh, but then there was a complication. And I remember at one time, uh, as I was going through that, getting to the place where it was tough. It was a struggle. I said, there was a part of me that was saying, God, I know you're here, but where? Where are you? It was, it was a struggle that, that I was experiencing. My, and I was finding it really difficult to even to pray. Anybody ever been there before? Where sometimes you're going through something and, and it, it seems like the, you pray and the prayer is just bouncing off the ceilings all over the place and not actually getting through. And it's kind of the way I was feeling. What, be, we, what began to happen at that time was I began to understand and to see and to learn that the people around about me, my family, my friends, my family of faith, you folk, folk overseas, folk around the world, were interceding and praying for my health and for my recovery and for my strength. And even though I myself was not, a, were not able to really you know, I wish I could say to you, man, I was God's 
man with power for the hour. I was claiming my healing and I was standing in my, my hospital bed and I was grabbing hold of the nurses and telling them they needed to pray with me. No, it wasn't that way, but I knew that there was this groundswell of prayer that was taking place. Many of you have experienced something similar to this, I'm sure. And the prayer support, the relational support, comes and is supportive and helps you during a time of challenge and struggle. I remember going through the cardio rehab afterwards and going through the cardio rehab, one of the things they kept on emphasizing over and over and over again, that if you want to and if you plan to fully recover, you need the support of family. You need the support of family. And that's some of the truth that I want to share with you today. I want to encourage you with today. The title of my message this morning is, We Are Better Together. We're better together. So if you're hungry this morning, if you're thirsty this morning, if you've come this morning and said, oh, I'm going to come here and I hope Pastor Lathan or Pastor Mark or Pastor Bob or Pastor Joe, one of the pastors is going to feed me, I'm afraid you may go out a little, still hungry. But if you've come this morning with the desire in your heart that you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, based upon God's word, you will be filled. Your heart is open to receive from him this morning. Would you turn with me, if you have a Bible with you, or maybe your, your iPhone or pad, or look up on the screen as well. I want to base my message off of a passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting at verse 9 through 11. Ecclesiastes one of the books in the Old Testament, all right? Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And this is read out of the New Living Translation. But just listen to this, what God's Word is saying to us this morning about being better together. It says this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help them. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. And in Wisconsin, you need four or five people lying together to keep each other warm. That, that doesn't say that, but we'll add, okay? But how can one be warm all on their own? Verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Did you hear that, church? A person standing alone will be and can be attacked and defeated, but two standing back to back will conquer. Even three or better, a triple braided cord is not easily broken. We are better together. You know, that truth is not just found in God's word, but it's found in so many different areas in life. Even in the animal kingdom, it's found there. I, as you know, uh, am from, from Africa, grew up in Africa. And one of the things that I realized, and I think that uh, if anybody has looked at uh, anything that had to do with uh, the wild and, 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 and game, is that when a lion or a cheetah is out to get something to eat, to have lunch, all right, if they're out hunting, what they'll look for is an antelope that's isolated from the, the group. An antelope that's on the side, that's either dragging its feet or has run ahead, and they'll look for that antelope and they'll go after that antelope. Because they realize if they're on their own, they can successfully kill that animal and, and, and have their meal. You know, the Cape Buffalo, they tell me, 
is one of the favorite dishes of a lion. I don't know who asked the lion that, but that's what they say. I don't know whether I want to get close enough to a lion to say, tell me what's your favorite dish. But the Cape buffalo is supposed to be, well, what's amazing about that, one of the reasons it's one of the hardest animals for the lion to kill is because the Cape buffalo, as soon as it senses that there's a lion or a cheetah or so, an animal close by that's, that, that's out to kill one of them, is that they back up into a circle. They back up with their bums together at the back and create a circle around, and they find a way to protect each other by coming together. They cover each other's back. Every one of us in life will experience, if you haven't done so already, a struggle in life. A struggle maybe in just your day-to-day activity, maybe a struggle in your faith. And it's usually when we're struggling with something and we don't seem to overcome it. So often it's as a result of we trying to walk out that struggle on your own, on our own. Let me say to us this morning, Celebration Church, you and I will never truly overcome the struggles that we may face just on our own without doing it together. We'll never survive on our own. So today I want to share with you two brief truths that have to deal with us. They're passions of mine. They're things that have stirred in my heart for many, many years, to be honest with you. For some of you that have spent time with me, if we've had interaction either at men's groups or things like that, you would have heard me talk about these quite regularly. And I want to mention them again this morning. The two truths are simply this, and I'll unpack them a little bit more here in a moment. But these truths is that a godly life, a godly life happens in community. Not on our own, but in community. And the second part kind of touches on it and connects with this as well, is that, that having we as believers need to have a healthy fear of God. A healthy fear of God. Let me start out with the fact that, that godly life happens in community. It begins, your walk of faith begins in a relationship with God. There's a sense in which there's a community aspect right at that very beginning. The very beginning, your walk of faith begins when you realize you cannot live life on your own, that you cannot be successful, that things, if, you, if it's left up to your own devices and your own ways because of the, the sin in, in, in your life and focusing, that you, our lives will fall apart, that we need God. Salvation begins with a supernatural encounter with God. We come to a place of realizing, knowing that we're sinners, and that Christ died for us. I come to that realization. In, on, in my own strength, doing my own thing, trying to live life in my own way, being the king of my heart and the king of my life, I'm going to fail. But if I truly want to overcome, if I truly want to experience freedom from sin, I need Jesus. Amen. Amen. You see, we cannot be good enough. I cannot be good enough. I cannot be religious enough. I'm sure you've heard, I know Pastor Mark has often said, you know, coming to church is a good thing to do, but, you know, coming to church is not going to make you, more, make you into a Christian any more than sitting in your garage is going to turn you into a car. <laughs> Although here in Wisconsin, people love to sit in their garages. I'm not too sure what that's all about, but we cannot be religious enough. We cannot be smart enough. We cannot be wealthy enough. We cannot be gifted enough. We cannot be talented enough. But we need God. We need Jesus. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, 23, in the New Living Translation, it says this. For everyone, everyone, doesn't leave anybody out, everyone has sinned and falls short of the glorious standard of God. 
And when we realize this, when I come to the place of realizing I'm a sinner and I repent of my sin and I invite him into my life, God offers and gives to us this gift of grace, this gift of grace, and it's a beginning of my connecting with God. In fact, the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, comes to live within me. I no longer walk my path of life all on my own. God the Holy Spirit walks it with me. He forgives us of our sins and comes to live in our lives. Talk about a close relationship. That's a close relationship. So the question I would have to ask you this morning is at the very beginning here, in terms of how do we walk out our community, it begins with the relationship with God, in a connection with God, in in community with God. The question I would have to ask you is, do you have a personal relationship with God? If you say this morning, well, I don't know, I'm not too sure, I I don't know whether I do. The good news is, before the service is over this morning, you'll get an opportunity to do just that. But it takes a step further than that. Not only is there this community, this connection, this relationship that we have with God, but the second aspect of it, that if I'm going to follow God, if I'm going to be an overcomer, if I'm going to deal with the sin of my life or the strongholds in my life or the things that seem to continue to hold me, if I'm going to live a victorious life, if I'm going to take what God is doing on the inside through Jesus and his forgiveness, and if I'm going to work it out through others, I need to be in community. I need to do it. We are better together. Let me take a little sidetrack here just for a moment. All right? If I'm going to walk out a relationship with God, you and I need to have what I would call a healthy respect for the fear of God. You know, I, maybe this is a personal thing for me, but as I kind of talk with people and live life and deal with folk, I've come to realize more and more that even amongst Christians, there seems to be a sense in which we don't seem to fear God anymore. We don't have this reverence, this awe of who God is. And I want to suggest to you this morning that we need to have a healthy fear of God. We seem to have lost that fear. We seem to have lost that reverence for him. You remember the story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5? Husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira. They came before the the apostles and they presented the fact that they had sold their land and were bringing it all to give to the church. But they were being dishonest. They were lying. They were lying to them and to the Holy Spirit. Guess what happened to them? Well, first of all, he fell over dead. They dragged him out. She came in. She did the same thing. Sapphira fell over dead. And you know, the word of God says towards the end of that, that story in that passage, he said, and f- great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. I believe that we as believers and as a church need to come back to a place of having a healthy dose of the fear of God. Not the fear that God's going to, any minute he's going to step on me and, and kill me but a fear of respect and saying, God, I don't want to do anything that displeases you. I want to be a God pleaser in every way, that no matter what it may look like. You see, my question to us today is, if we love God with all our heart, soul, and body, why do we want to see how close we can get to this line of sin? How close can I get to the fire without being burned? You know, my my grandkids, uh, fairly often, we've this summer have had an opportunity to build a bit of a bonfire and an opportunity to, anybody 
like to cook or make s'mores over a bonfire. You know, they're always so gooey and messy and that kind of stuff. I guess when you get to my age, it's not as much fun as it was. But I always get fascinated. There's something about a fire that just attracts uh, grandkids in particular. They want to see how close they can get to that fire and hopefully they don't get burned. But that's the truth is that we need to... Let, let me share with you, let me share this passage out of Hebrews. The writer to the, to the Hebrew people said this in Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with a holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. If we got to please God, we need to worship him with a holy fear. So what does that look like? Well, let me say this to you this morning. God hates sin. He loves the sinner. And every one of us know that we, have, we are sinners and we're saved by God's grace and we continue to walk out our faith. But he hates sin. And I believe that God wants every one of us. He encourages us to hate sin as well. So when we're faced with a temptation, when we're faced with sin, if we in a situation like that, if we have this, whole, this healthy respect and the fear of God, there's only one answer. You know what that answer is? Run. 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 Because so often we want to see how close we can get to the line. You know, there's the line here. I'm a believer. I'm trying to live by faith. But the, you know, there's a reason. Why do I want to get so close to the line? Why not run from it? Run away. Do like Joseph did. Remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife? She was trying to entice him. He knew that it wasn't the right thing to do. She, you know, I, he knew that it, was, it would be sin. And so what did he do? Joseph ran. He ran from that sin. He even had to leave some of his clothes behind to get out, which was, you know, got him into trouble. But he had to run from that sin. Church, my challenge to us today, ch challenging you and challenging me as well, we need to run from sin. Don't buddy up to it. Run from it. You see, sin separates us from God. Now, that depending upon what your theology and how you view that, but if the very least, sin will separate you from your relationship with God and from your, you know, it even says that sin hinders our prayers. It causes us to distance ourselves from God because of, with, if we continue to come up close and, and, and step into sin. It hinders us. At worst, it can even lead to a complete break in the relationship. So my challenge to us here today is, first of all, church, fear God. Practically walk out your reverence and fear of God. And one of the best ways to do that is to live in community. One of the best ways to do that is to get connected to the body. Get connected to the family of faith that you're a part of. How do you deal with sin? How do you deal with the strongholds in your life? How do you deal with those kind of things as a believer? A couple of suggestions for you this morning, if you're taking notes, all right, is that we need to change the way we think about things. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, as I walk out my faith, as I walk it out in community, because we're better together when we're together in community, that I need to regularly stop and say, what does God think about this? What does God think about the action I'm about to take? What does God think about the attitude that I have? What does God think about what I've done at work or what I've done at home or what I've done with my spouse? What does God think? What does God say concerning this? Does God call it sin? And if he does, then I need to stay away from it. It's not about me, but it's about living for him. Many times I've had to stop and say, you know, if it was just about me, my selfishness and what I'd like, I want it now and I want it the way I want it, but I've got to stop and say, God, this is not about me. I'm not living life just for me. I want to live life for you and for your kingdom. And I want that to be revealed and shown. I want to know you and make you known. But the second part of it, not only changing the way that we think, but we need to be connected to the body. A lot of wonderful passages of Scripture talking about the body. Beautiful passages. One in Romans chapter 12, 4 and 5, it talks about it. Let me just read that one briefly to you. It says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, the family of faith those that I'm connecting with. There are many parts, one body, and we all belong to each other. We are better together. We need to find a place to belong. One of the values here at Celebration Church that I'm sure you've heard many times spoken about is that we need to belong. Find a place that we can get connected. Find a place that we can live life, walk out our faith, overcome the enemy by belonging. Another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm not going to read this entire passage, but it talks about the body, body being many parts. If all the whole body was the hand, and there was, what a strange body that would look like. If the whole body was nothing but a little a toe, a strange body, and if I were to sever a piece of my body and put it on the side, it wouldn't live, it wouldn't function. Verse 18 says this, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. If you go further on in that passage, passage, verse 26, it says, if one part, one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Powerful passages of Scripture about how we to be connected together. Connected, fused together. In fact, one of the definitions for connected that Pastor Chad it, uh, I put the cap was pointed out to me is the, the word connected. One of the meanings is, is to be fused, to be fused together. It's that kind of an intention, intentional act that I fuse together with each other and build a relationship. Let me say this as a kind of a promo for you here this, this morning at Celebration Church. It's one of the reasons why we so specifically and so intentionally at Celebration Church encourage everybody to get connected and one of the best ways you can do that is get connected within our, our life groups. Finding a place that you can get connected, meet with other. Why do we do that? Well, one of the reasons is, is that the purpose of a life group, the purpose of a small group, is that, we, that it will bring people together. And we try and provide those kind of opportunities. Maybe it's an opportunity just to volunteer in one of the areas in our, our ministry. But you're building relationship. You're building connection. You're getting to know each other's names. You're beginning to... Uh, Take off the mask. You're beginning to love on each other. You're beginning to know what God has for us. It is only through that that you and I can truly experience freedom.
You see, freedom happens as the Holy Spirit works through the body of Christ, the family of God, and that requires that we become dependent upon each other. If God's intent, and with God's intent to allow his grace to flow, when he does, so often he uses others. If I'm needing healing physically, if I'm needing healing emotionally, mentally, relationally, so often God uses others to perform that. We are better together. Beautiful passage of scripture. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens the other. Just in closing here this morning, let me touch on a couple of quick things that I believe sometimes causes us to keep from being connected. Sin. Sin will keep you from being connected because the shame of sin forces me to not, well, I don't know how to get connected with those around about me. The fear, being fearful to trust others. I don't know whether I can trust that person. I've tried to trust them before or, or, or I've been involved in a church and the trust has become an issue for me and I, you know, I'm scared now to step out and trust. But God's word is very clear about that, that we are to step out and walk and, and find a way to get connected. Time. You know, we always have the excuse. I don't know whether I have the time. How many here this morning have a lot of time? You just got so much time you don't know what to do with it. Most of us, we struggle with that, don't we? But finding a time to get connected. Sometimes our personality, I'm just an introvert. You know, I, I don't like being around people. Well, I want to challenge you in that. That's a way to stay disconnected and a way to never to get true healing in your walk of faith. Pride. Pride. Men, this is a big one for you, all right? Pride. We don't like to ask for help. I'm driving down the road. I am as lost as anything. My wife's sitting next to me, and she says, why did you stop at that gas station and ask for help? Guess what I do? I make like I didn't even hear her. I keep driving. <laughs> I keep driving. I'd rather get lost than admit I'm lost. But I want to challenge us this morning. We need to change that. A fear of failure, a fear of rejection. You see, we are better together. The challenge here this morning is that we cannot be a lone ranger Christian. And the Word of God shows us that, that even in the, the New Testament, that as they began to love one another, as they began to connect, that within 300 years they turned the world upside down. We cannot isolate ourselves, but that we can be the people God has called us to be, a healing community in the midst of Green Bay, in the midst of Appleton, in the midst of Stevens Point. We can be a healing community that lives can be impacted and touched, our lives first of all, that we can be set free to be able to walk out, out the truth of God and the truth that God has for us. We are better together. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege we have today to open up our hearts to your word. And God, we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for those that are around about us. There's people sitting right next to us right now, God, that you have stirred in their lives and they've experienced you as their Lord and Savior. There may be some here this morning, Lord, that are still looking and saying, God, what is it? What, what's this all about? But I know there's something different and I want more of you. But Father, if we're going to walk out true freedom in our life, freedom from the things that the sin that so easily trips us up and entangles us, God, we do that in community. Thank you for reminding, of us, reminding us of that this morning. And I pray, God, that you bless each one. And we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Pastor.